This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Kibbutz of Aim, before every shear, a lot of people don't know the halachas of Kibbutz of Aim. So I figured that we'll, we'll start off the shear tonight with learning some of the halachas of Kibbutz of Aim. And um, I'm sorry that it's a responsibility because if you don't know it, you're not doing it on purpose. Once you know it, you're doing it on purpose. But um, it says, those who keep Kibbutz of Aim will have long day, so there's a good side to it. So the halakhas, um, we'll learn a couple of them, there's a lot of halakhas, huh? we'll start, and Mitzvah Shem, as we continue giving shurim, we'll, we'll learn more halakhas. So Hilchitz Kivit of if you want to look it up in Kitzvah Shulchan Aruch, it's in Simen Kuf Mem Gimel, in Shulchan Aruch, and it starts off the following, Tzarech Lizar HaMoed B'chvayt Aviv Yimoy U'Bamrayam. A person has to be extremely careful to, to honor their parents, and to fear, the, the word fear doesn't mean to be scared, it's more to be in awe of your parents. So it's not, doesn't mean you have to walk around scared of your parents. That's not the relationship that we're looking for with our parents. In awe of your parents. When a person's in awe, they stand up. There's certain reactions to that word. The word is, Moira is awe. In fact, when it talks about Yirashamayim, really, it's, it's been translated very wrong in many schools, that it means the fear of God. It's the awe of God. Awe is not a negative thing. Fear can be a very negative thing. You're scared of somebody. When you're in awe of somebody, it's sort of when a king walks in, you have a certain respect for them. It's not because you fear. It's not because he's going to chop your head off. Right? It's because the king just walked in. It's an awe. Yirah Shemayim means the awe of Shemayim. Okay? And to have awe, to have awe of somebody means you need to know who they are. Somebody walks in and he's, he's a king, but he's not dressed like a king. You're not in awe of him. So, a person with Yirah Shemayim that's a person who is in awe of Hashem, understands who Hashem is and what He is. Anyway, so a person has to have both. You have to have kibbutz, you have to honor, and you have to, have, you have to be in awe. She is wise in a cousin, because the Pasik compares them to Yisparach Shmai, to Kosh Baruch Hu. It's very interesting that it's a very beautiful minig that Sfardim have, that when a mother and father walk into a room, that they stand up. Um, I did, you know, I, I don't know. It's Ashkenaz minute. I don't know maybe it's Chassidish minute, but in the Sephardish world, there's no such thing as a father walking into the room or a mother walking in the room. The children not standing up. It's a very, it's a very beautiful minute. And it also uses the word Kabed es Hashem. So we we compare the two Kabeds. So you need to know that when you honor your you honor your parents, you're like honoring your Hashem, and that's why Kibbutz of Aim is in the top five. Ben Adam Lamakram between between us and Hashem, not in the bottom five, which is Ben Adam Lachaveru. Okay, Ba'aviv Imo Ksiv Ish Imo Ba'aviv Tiro. By a mother and father, it says that your mother and father, you should be in awe of them. Uksiv is Hashem Lekecha Tira. Same word. So we see that they're the same. Kederach Shetziv Al Kivet Shmaya Gadol Mara. Just like a person has a mitzvah on honoring Hashem and and being in awe of Hashem. And we have the same mitzvah when it comes to Kivit of Aim. There are three partners in a human being. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Aviv, V'imo. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, your mother and your father. All the white that's in your body. The white of your eyes, your bones, right? All the white that's in your body comes from the father. All the color, your lips, the color, anything that's not white in your body, I mean white, white, like a bone, that comes from the, comes from the mother. And Hashem 
puts in the neshama. What does the neshama give you the ability? Mariayin to see, shmiyas oizin to hear, dibur to speak. There's mantra of the mechavit love of his emo when. Listen to this. This is amazing. Shulchan Aruch says that when you're mechaved, your mother and father, Amar Hakadosh Baruch Hu, Hashem says, It is like I, I am I am living with you and that you honored me. So Kibbutz of Aim is a very very big thing. It's on the level of mamish honoring Hakadosh Baruch Hu. Now we're going to learn one one halacha, which is if Beis Ezu Maira. What does it mean to be in awe? You can't stand in their place where they normally stand, let's say in shul, right? Um, you're, not allowed to, you're not allowed to stand in that, in that place. If he's, if, he, if he's in a place, let's say, that he stands with his friends, uh, or where he stands to Davin. You're not allowed to sit in a designated place in the dining room. Where he sits, or if in the kitchen at the table, right? So you can't, you can't sit there. I mean, my father passed away 15 years ago. I will not, you know, and we have a house in Eretz I will never sit in his chair, even though he's not alive anymore. I will never sit, you don't, you don't sit in your father or your mother's chair. Okay. Now, of course, and you don't contradict his words. You're not allowed to say that you agree with your parents. In other words, your father or your mother are saying something, and, you're, and they're having a discussion, let's say, with other people, and you're like, you know, Tati, Mommy, you're right. You're over in Kibbutz of them. Why? Because it sounds like they need you to agree with them. So that's already something that you're not allowed to do. So you would think, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not arguing with them, I'm saying that they're right. That is a lack of Kibbutz of Aim. They don't need you to say that you're right. That's how careful... You know, your person has to be. That you can't even, you can't even say, near and divrei Abba, I, I see what my father's saying, you know. He's right. To what level do you have to be in awe of them? Let's say their son was dressed very, very well. Chamudos means very expensive clothing. He was the rabbi, or the president, right, of the shul. Or the community. And his mother or his father came. And ripped his clothing. And hit him on the head. And spit in front of him. Okay? You must not embarrass them. Okay? You can't even show them that you're in pain. And you can't get angry at them. Be quiet. The yira and fear. Because of course it's almost impossible. How could you take such abuse from your parents and not answer them back? So you have to be thinking that I'm not answering them back because Hashem said that this I'm not allowed to answer them back. That's the only way you're going to be able to get through it. Okay? Now. But you have a right to take them to Bezdin to pay you the Hefzid that they ripped your clothing. You have a right to take them to bed and they should pay. They don't have a right to take money from you. Which we'll, we'll talk about maybe in the next next year, where if they take your money and they throw it into the ocean. Right? So you can't say anything to them. You can't yell at them. But you can take them to bed and that they owe you money. Now, it's very important that we're very clear on this. Your parents have no right to abuse you. I, it says here in the Shulchan Aruch, she smacked you, she ripped your clothing, she spit at you, right? You have a right 
if that's the relationship your parents have with you, to get up and get out of there. In other words, a person doesn't have to sit there and be abused by their parents. Just the opposite. You will not see anywhere in the Shulchan Aruch that it says you have to call them for Shabbos. Because if you if your relationship with them is that every time you call them for Shabbos, they yell at you and scream at you, it causes you to get depressed, causes you to causes you pain. A person is not machayev, that's not kibbut of aim. So if they walked into the room and they did that to you, right? It's too late. You didn't. They did it to you. You didn't realize it. But if your mother does that to you, that if she and she's walking into the room and the last time she smacked, she slapped you around, get out. I tell kids, get out. There's there's no halacha that you can't get out. But if you're going to get abused and you're going to answer back or yell back or curse or chatzshom hit back, that's beyond anything, right? Then chatzshom, a person who causes chabura, causes a parent to bleed or black and blue mark, it's chayv misaf. I wasn't, I had to ask a Shiloh. My father used to play hockey with me. So I had to ask a Rav Shiloh if I'm allowed to play hockey with him because if I play hockey with him and let's say I shoot the puck or I hit him with the stick and he bleeds, I'm chayv misaf. The Rav said I'm not allowed to. I can be goalie Right? But I can't go out and play because Chaz Hashem even calls the parent a Chaburah. So it goes to the point where you didn't do it, you didn't do it to hurt them. Right? And, and, and we'll learn about the halachas of a doctor that he's not allowed to take blood from his parents unless he's the only doctor. Unless he's the only doctor that his parents will go to, you can't even take blood for a blood test. The person has to be very, very careful. So therefore, if your relationship with your parent is going to cause you to answer them back, to curse them, get out. You're not over on anything by getting out. But you are over, even if they say the worst thing to you, and you answer them back, you're over in Avera. Of course, the parent has a halacha, that, don't put your kid in such a situation. If you're going to yell at her, and she's going to yell back at you, you're causing your own child, to be chay misa, to be over on such a terrible Avera, what are you doing? So the parent has a responsibility to be very careful, that once their child is a goggle, after 12 or boy 13, be very careful not to put them into a position where they'll hit you or curse you or answer you back because you're causing them to, to, you know, to be very big trouble. In the din of, of a Ben Sayra Meira, where a child is a Ben Sayra Meira, the Allah is that the first two rocks, when we do stealing, when we kill the child, the first two rocks the parents have to throw. It's a very sad thing. Bokhshan, there was never a Ben Sayra Meira in the Torah, but it's a very sad thing. Why? Because if you cause that to happen, then you need to be the ones who, fr- who throw the first two rocks. So, person has to be very careful with their children not to push the buttons that's going to cause them to do an Avera. On the other hand, the children have to be very careful um, not to answer back. So sometimes, not to have a relationship, is, is you know, you have to ask your rub, but not to have a relationship, sometimes it's much better just not to answer the phone. If you're going to answer the phone and curse them or, or answer them back, you're right, but you don't even agree with them. You can't even agree with them. Forget about disagree with them. I'm reading the Shulchan Aruch, not Rabbi Wallstein's Torah. There's a very fascinating little story here. Listen to this story that he brings down. He says the following. His mother comes to, let's say, this is what he says. The mother comes and tells her son or her daughter, I say, Zois, do me a favor, do this. And he does it. And now his father comes home. Who told you to do this? And the child realizes that if he's going to tell his father that his mother told him to, in other words, he realizes that his father is not happy about what he did, but his mother told him to do it. So if he's going to tell his father that mommy told me to do this, he understands that his father is going to be angry on his mother. So the Shulchan Aruch says the following, Don't tell your father 
that your mother told you to do this. Afalpi, even though you're going to take the hit. You're saying, I just I did it on my own. Afalpi, Shayidei Kane, Yikasal even though by saying to his father, Oh my I, I did this on my own, right? His father's gonna be angry at him. Shukhanoch says, You take the hit. Don't cause your father to be angry at your mother. So you have to lie, halachically, for Shalom Bayes, you have to lie and say, Nobody told did your mother tell you to do this? No, no, mommy would never tell me to do this. I decided to do this on my own. That's what the Shulchan Aruch Paskins. That's how careful a person has to be to be, make sure that you don't cause a fight between your parents. And sometimes our parents fight because of us. And we tell, we manipulate one to fight with the other so that we should be in a good place. The Shulchan Aruch is saying that you even have to take the hit, right? Even though your mother told you to do it. Right? It's not your fault. She told you to do it. But if you know that you're going to tell your father, Mommy told me to do this, he's going to be angry at Mommy, you have to lie. Uh, I'm reading to you. It's not me. It's not my hashkafa. It's not a hashkafa sefer. It's not the kavayashar. Shulchan Aruch. It's a halacha. As we know in the Torah. And it, it's a very deep. It's not my shir tonight. It's, I once gave this shir. Um, we know by Sari Menu when Hashem, when Hashem, when Sari Menu said to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, how could, I laughed because how, how's my husband going to have children? He's an old man. When, when Hashem repeated to Avram Avinu, Avram Avinu said, she laughed? She didn't laugh. Hashem said, yes, she laughed. Because she said, she's too old to have children. That's not what she said. She said, he was too old to have children. So Hashem repeated it and changed it and said that she said, she's too old. So Rashi says, that Hashem did it for Shalom Bayis. Now, the, the, the question on this is a very deep question. Hashem is MS. He can't say a sheker. Right? It's a very deep shear that, that, that happens, not based on my shear, but I did a lot of work on this many, many years ago. I gave this shear. Hashem is MS. Don't give me no, how, how could he make, he, he changed the story. Right? He changed the story. So first of all, the truth in that Chazal pretty much give is, he didn't lie. He didn't say that Sari Imenu didn't say you're too old. He just said, Sari Imenu said she's too old. So he, he didn't lie. Okay, that, that's a, if you want to accept that answer, it's, that's on a surface answer, it's a very good answer. But it's not MS. And the answer is it's very, very deep. But, but causing Shalom bias is the real MS. Our understanding of Emes and Sheker is not the real understanding of Emes and Sheker. The real Emes is what Hashem did. In other words, to say the truth and cause a husband and wife to break up, it's not really Emes. Even though you're going to walk around and say, what do you want me to do? I have to tell the truth. There are so many times that we tell the truth to hurt somebody. Shiduchim, whatever it is, right? I just had a phone call about somebody. I'm not going to say that I lied. But I definitely didn't tell the truth. I definitely didn't. I knew certain things about this boy that I did not say. I hope, I hope the lady that called me is not in the room. Right? But, but there were certain things about this boy I did not say. She asked me straight up and I said, I don't know. But I did know. But maybe it changed. I didn't, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't spoken to him in the last year. So who knows what happened in the last year. So, so if I would have said the MS, I know this guy from two years ago and he's this and he's that. 
have a good day. And, and her, her daughter was going out with him. And it wasn't, wasn't anything major, but to the mother, it was a major question. Wasn't anything, if it was something major that I knew, of course I would have told her. But I knew to her, which was, it was a silly question, but I knew to her this was a major thing. I said, I don't know. Go find out for yourself. I don't know. Now, Rabbi Walton, that's Sheker. It's not Sheker. The MS would have destroyed the Shidduch, and, and, and it's not an MS that was neat. In other words, that, uh, that point, it wasn't like he was on medicine or something like that that I knew, or he did drugs or something like that. So, so the, the MS, doesn't make machlekes. Real MS doesn't make machlekes. So, so machlekes can't be based on MS. So if, if, and that's why the Shulchan Aruch is saying this over here. In other words, what do you mean? You tell me to lie? Bottom line is my father asked me, who told you to do this? This is straight up. And my mother told me to do this. So the MS is, mommy told me to do this. That's going to cause hard feelings to my father and my mother. So really, the real MS is me taking the hits. Because I'm taking the hit, there's no machlekes, that's the real, that's the real MS. Now, the problem with giving this to men, this shit to men, when I did give it to men, is all of a sudden they're like, oh, so my wife's gonna ask me where I was, if I'm gonna tell her really where I was, right, then she's not gonna talk to me again. So I'm gonna make up a story! According to you, you know, that's the MS. No. No, you can't do things that are wrong, and then make up a story and say, well, Hashem made up a story, I can make up a story. That's not, that's not the story that happened. Avram Avinu, Hashem came to Avram Avinu, he said she laughed. Why did she laugh? Right? So Akash Bokhu said she laughed because she's too old. You can't do things wrong and then say I'm going to lie for Shalom Bias because my husband really finds out, right, that I, that I bought this and I didn't, and, I, and he's going to find out right, that I'm a liar. No, that, you can, that's not something that you can do. But we're, we're talking about in situations where you're not doing the thing wrong Beforehand, in other words, his mother didn't tell him, I'm, "I'm telling you to do this, but don't tell your father." That's a problem. She told him to do it. He did it. All of a sudden, his father came home. He realized, "Uh oh, this is going to get mommy into trouble." Right? He shouldn't get mommy into trouble. That's the that's the true the the, the true MS. And I, I feel very much made al machaber. I'll tell you some stories tonight. When you when you hurt somebody, you, you need to go very deep into your heart to find out if it was real MS. Because, because sometimes, you know, the, I don't want to use the word, but the road to Gehenna is paved with good intentions. So a lot of people who do good intentions and they really hurt other people. And you need, you need to really go into yourself and see if you are 100% kosher. Because if you're 100% kosher, in the end you will not hurt people. If you're really 100% kosher. There's many ways of, of saying things to a person. Even the MS. How to say the MS without hurting the person. There are many ways that you could say MS, but you, you sort of put a lot of whipped cream on it, right? And a person, many times, they're doing it and they think they're doing it, but they're really doing it because they're jealous, because of other reasons, because they don't have what this other person has. You need to clear, you need to take that all out of the, out of the mix, and then, then you'll see that when you present it to the other person, it's very, very, very different, you know? If you enjoy saying something bad about someone, it's not, it's, it's, it's incorrect. It's what, it, it, in other words, if someone asks you about something for a shidduch, or whatever they're asking you, and the MS is going to break the shidduch, it doesn't hurt you and kill you to say it, then you have a personal vendetta in there. In other words, here's this girl who's calling me up, Rabbi Wallstein, I'm going out with this boy five times, I really like him, but there's something I'm, I'm a little worried about. And, and they're asking me this something, and she's right. Now I have to tell her the truth. And it's going to break up the shidduch. If I'm like, you know what, you guessed it. 
100%, you're 100% right, and this guy did this when he was much younger, and yes, you should, what? If I say it like that, then there's, there, there, there's something going on here that's not MS. If I am mamish like, I need to call you back, and I run into the bathroom, and I'm crying. I'm like, I'm about to break this boy. This boy had a chance to get married to this girl, and I'm gonna break this shit up, because both I have to tell her the truth, and I, I'm mamish, it, it's killing me, and I don't know how to say it in it. If that's how I'm reacting, then it's, then it's the truth. But if I'm reacting, yeah, 100%, you should not go out with this guy again, whatever it is. If I'm not, if it's not hurting me, that this MS is hurting someone else, and it's not hurting me, it's Shekhar. There's something else in there that's going on. If it's not bothering you a lot, so you need to know before you answer that question, if it's bothering you. If it's bothering you, then you have a right to tell the truth. If it's not bothering you, then you better push it off to somebody else. Because then you are not doing it, it's not coming from the right place. And I think that's a very very good litmus test before you give bad information to anyone. Before you cause machlekes, if that, if that, if that, I mean, I know stories of kids, you know, uh, the famous story with, with, with the principal of Beisiaco, with, with Principal of Rabbi Hellman, I think it was his name, right? There's a famous story where a kid, prince, somebody came into the, to the office and said, Rabbi Hellman, you know, this girl, so and so, whatever it is, you know, we have to throw her out, but we need, we need your permission, whatever it is. And he said, just give me a day, and the next day, his secretary, they said it by the shiva, his secretary, um, used to bring him a coffee every morning in a Danish, and she saw at five o'clock, when she left, the coffee in the Danish was still sitting there. So she said, are you feeling okay? What's going on? You know, he says, no, I fa- I'm fasting. It's a true story. She said, I'm fasting. She said, you're fasting? Today's not a fast day. He says, it's a day, it's Dine de Flushes. And Bezdin, before they pask in Dine de Flushes, before they hung someone, or they burnt someone, or they did skila, they used to fast. You don't just, you don't come out with a, you don't make a judgment on someone without fasting. He says, it's Dine de Flushes. We're throwing a girl out of school. Her whole life is over. I can't agree to this until I fast the whole day. They didn't eat that. They said it by the Shiva by Rabbi Hellman. <laughs> so then you know that you're making the right decision. But if you're like, throw her out and her sisters too, right? And I don't want the whole family here. I don't like them. Then you're not making it's not MS. It's MS. We caught her with an iPhone, with this, with that. No. If you're not crying and you're not fasting, there's Sheke involved in that MS. It's not total MS. If it doesn't bother you to hurt somebody, in this week's parsha, parsha is Mishpatim, which is Benadol Mechavero, if it doesn't bother you to hurt somebody, even though it's the truth, there's some Sheker involved in that truth. Trust me, I've been there. There's some Sheker involved in that truth. Before you hurt another Jew, before you hurt another human being, if you're not crying, and you're not fasting, and you're, and you're sleeping, then you better not be involved in that whole situation because then you are not 100% MS. Because if you're 100% MS, then then you're going to have to do it. I'm not saying you shouldn't do it. You have to say what you have to say, but it has to bother you. And if it doesn't bother you, forget about it. Stay away from it. Okay, this week's parasha is... Anyway, that's our Kibbutz of Aim for today. Mitzvah Hashem and the other Shurim will continue. And this week, it's, it's a big Kiddush. It's an unbelievable, and it's so true. I just found it very funny when I learned it. It gets Shukhanach, because it, this is like a case that happens a lot. Like your mother tells you to do something. Your father comes home and says, who told you to do that? Right? Mommy did. She did. Don't, don't blame me. I hear it all the time, right? Don't blame me. Mommy told me to do it, right? Don't blame me. Tati told me to do it. No, says the Shukhanach. You can't say that. Just take the hit. Hashem will pay you back. Hashem will pay you back, for sure. No question about it. Okay, this week's Pasha. 
Right? These are the laws. Mishpatim are laws that we shtickle, we shtickle understand. And it talks about Kisikna Evid Ivri. If you buy an Evid Ivri, Sheshan, why, why do we have an Evid Ivri? Why is there someone selling himself for an Evid Ivri? So, the, so the Rashi and the Mafarshim speak about, he stole money. Let's say he stole $200,000. Now they caught him. And they're like, give it back. But he went to Atlantic City and he lost the whole $200,000. So he can't pay it back. So now what do we do? Right? There's no chapter 11. There's no bankruptcy in, 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 in Jewish law. There's a famous, famous story with a big Rebbe that um, this guy came to me. He says, Rebbe, I have no panasa. I can't make a dollar. You know, give me a bracha. The Rebbe says, listen, it's mamish. It works all the time. Take a chumash. Some people take it to Hillam. You take a chumash. Open up the chumash. Whatever it opens up to, it's a simon from Shemayim, what you should do. Do what, you, do what it says there. Fine. He meets this guy two years later. Guy's a multi-millionaire. So the Rebbe says, wow, I see you're doing amazing. What did you do? He said, I listened to the Rebbe. He said, really? Listen to the Rebbe? What did you do? He said, open the Chumash. What did it open to? He said, Perikid Aleph. Chapter 11. Okay, anyway. <laughs> I guess it's more of a guy's joke, but okay. Whatever it is. Anyway, it's funny, you're laughing, but trust me, it's not so funny when it happens to you. Lomans went chapter 11 on me three weeks ago. I'm not a happy camper. Anyway, yeah, there's no more shopping at Lomans. What can you do? Anyway, so, so this Evan Ivri, he has to sell himself, because he has to pay, but only for six years. That's the most, that's so far, that's the most that he can sell himself. Whatever money he can make in those six years, in Begapa Yavoy, Begapa Yetze, if he comes in alone, he goes out alone. In Baal Ishahu, if he came in when he was married, his wife goes out with him, and, the, and if he comes in alone, so you have to feed him. But if he has a wife and kids, not only you have to pay him, but you have to take care of his wife and kids also. If his master gave him a wife, and she had children and, 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 and daughters, and he now he, want, he has to leave, he has to leave them behind. The Shiflachnanis and his kids, he has to leave behind these new kids that he had when he was in Eved. And he goes out alone. But if the Eved says, I love my master, as Ishti, my wife, as Bana, my children, I don't want to go out free. We take him, we bring him to Bezdin, we bring him to the door, we take a, a, a thing that you make earrings with, I don't know what it's called. We make a hole, we make a hole in his ear. Right and vavadu loelam and he has to be he has to be an eved until yaivel. So there's a lot of kabbalistic writings on this, and it says this is this is one one of the pshatim that I heard. Number one, a person needs to know when he comes into this world, You come in alone, and you go out alone. Nobody goes with you, right? In bal ishahu. Isha is, is like the Torah, is considered also a person's Isha. If a person learns Torah in this world, in Baal Isha, and he's married to the Torah, then he will go out together with the Torah. But, in Adonav, if his master, his master, Yitin Isha, which means Yitzhara, right, gives him an Isha, and children, and a good life, and, and iPhones, and whatever else we're all busy with, right, and what's the Eved, the person who's a slave to all this materialistic thing, says, I love this. I love this materialistic world. Everything that I have, when you leave this world, you will not go out for free. And the person has to get his ear bored because his ear heard. And there is only one master in the world. 
and the master in the world is HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Here he's saying, I want another master. This guy's giving me to eat. He only has one pillow. I get the pillow. I get the food. I have a wife, a shifcha. I have children. I'm very happy where I am. Hashem says, that means you're not listening. You're not listening. If you're happy, right, you don't need me because you have this master who's taking care of you. So you're not, you're like the snake who eats dust. You don't need me. So you're very happy with yourself. You'll never be free. So there's a, there's a very beautiful marshal and um, very, very true marshal. And the marshal says that there was this man and one day, I think it's a Dugna Hamagid that says this. There was this man and one day, the king, he gets a message from the king like the IRS, I want to see you. Now, it's not good to be called by the king. And he's very worried. He doesn't know the king. He doesn't know what the king wants from him. But he had a friend. And this friend, right, he figured, he was very busy with this friend, they used to hang out together, they used to chill together, they were very busy with each other. He figured, he'll come with me to the king, I can't go by myself, I don't even know what to say to him. So he calls up his friend, he says, Chaim, the king just called me, would you go with me? Chaim says, listen, I don't know, you might be in trouble. Now, if I go with you, the king might think that whatever you're in trouble for, I'm a partner in it. No way. I am not going with you to the king. I'm, I love you. You're my friend. But I'm not, I'm not getting my head chopped off for you. I'm sorry. He said, but I, but I spend so much time with you together and with such buddies. He goes, I know, but I'm not, I'm not going to the king with you. Okay. Called up his other friend. Doesn't spend as much time, but he's still a very, very close friend. He says, listen, the king called me. I'm very nervous to go by myself to the king. Would you come with me? He says, listen, I don't know what you did. I really don't want to get my head chopped off. But I'll tell you what. I'll walk with you to the palace. I'm not going into the palace. But I'll, I don't want you to walk alone. I'll walk with you to the palace. From the palace door and in, you're on your own. I'm not going with you. He says, no, no. I need someone to be inside with me when I stand in front of the king. I, I, I can't help you. Okay. His mom is panicking. He goes to that morning that he has to go to the, to the king. He goes to shul. And he's finishing davening. And this man comes up to him. Who he used to meet once in a while and sure talk to him a little bit after davening. He says, You look very nervous. You're very white, you're very pale. What's going on? He says, What's going on? I'm going to the king today. I don't know what he wants. I think my head's gonna be taken off. King doesn't call you unless you're in trouble. Um, my two friends are not going with me. I'm very lonely. I don't know what to do. He says, I'll go with you. You'll go with me. I don't really know you. Why would you go with me? He says, Why not? You're in trouble. Once in a while we used to talk. Used to Shabbos, you made a kiddush once. You invited me over for chulin. You know, I'll do that for you. He goes, but, but we don't hang together. He goes, it's fine. I'm not worried about going in front of the king. I'm not scared to go in front of the king. I'll go with you. He goes, really? I wish you were my best friend. I gave these guys all this time and they're not going. Really? Absolutely. Okay. So, they go. And this guy walks with him into the palace. He's called into the king. The king calls this guy up. He's very, very nervous. And the, the friend that was in the shul with him goes in front of the king and says, before you say anything, I don't know what he did wrong. And this guy sees that the king and this guy that he met in shul seem to know each other. They seem to be very friendly. And he says, listen to the king. You know me very well. You have to know, I don't know what he did wrong, but you have to know that he's really a good guy. And that there was a few times 
that I went to his house, that he gave me to eat, and in shul, he gives tzedakah, and, and he's really a good guy. So I don't know what he did wrong. Whatever it is, don't, don't prosecute him to the full extent. Because I'm, I'm willing to be a witness that, that he's a good guy. This guy's looking at this guy. Like, this guy came to my house three times. I never talked to him very little. Wow. He's standing up for me in front of the king. So the Dugma Magus says the following. We come in alone, we go out alone. Your mamas come in alone, your mamas go out with nothing. There's no, there's, in Tachrichim have no pockets. We take nothing with us at all. It's a little scary, if you think about it. It's a little bit scary, because really, our whole life is based on relationships. And pretty much, when you come into this world, there's no relationship. And when you leave this world, there's no relationship. The only relationship is really with God. Because in a person's kever, what's the relationship? We have a relationship with. There's no relationship. So all these relationships that you work so hard and you're on the phone so much, my friend this, my friend that, my friend this. At the end, zero. It's you and God. That's the only relationship. No one will deny that. That's it. So he says like this, he says the person that you're the most busy with all the time is money, is working and business and your house. And your dresses and your shoes and your furniture and all this stuff that you gather during your whole life. All of a sudden, pitom, the king calls the person and says, It's time to leave the world. The king is calling you. You gotta go up to Shemayim and give Din Vikheshbin. Right? And you're like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is, this is trouble. Well, Din Vikheshbin is MS. It's not an easy thing, Din Vikheshbin. In Shemayim, pitom, he says, All of a sudden, you're getting called. You're like, oh my God, I, 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 I need help. Okay? Who am I busy with my whole life? Money. Things. Materialistic things. Right? So you're like, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll empty out my bank accounts and I'll, I'll, I'll take all my money and, and all my, my clothing and everything and I'll, I'll, I'll pay off the king. Hashem doesn't need your bank accounts and you can't take him with you. So the money tells the neshama, uh, I am not going with you anywhere. So it says that when a person dies, the, the money doesn't even come to the, to the Leviah. It's not like the bank account comes to the person's Leviah, right? And the furniture doesn't leave the house and come to Leviah, right? So, so they don't even show up at all. The money's like, I'm not going with you even one inch. Okay? Who, what is the person second busy with, we hope, or maybe first busy with? His family. Friends. Developed friends. Fought for friends. Killed other friends so you could have those friends. Whatever person does in life to have friends. It's a, we do all kinds of crazy stuff to have friends, right? Okay? What happens? What happens? The friends are like the second guy in the story. They come to the palace. They come to the Leviah. Some of the real close friends come to the graveyard, right? But that's it. Uh, they're not going into the grave with you. Nobody goes into the grave with you. You're going alone. It talks about all the specific Kabbalah talk about the Pasha Mishpatim is talking about the Neshama. Right? You come in alone, you go out alone, and Balisha, if you did mitzvahs, she goes with you. So everyone goes up to the gates, but that's it. Who goes with the Neshama in front of a Baruch Hu? Person's mitzvahs. The thing we spend the least, not you of course, I'm just saying, it's the thing that we spend the least amount of time with. Right? All of a sudden, the person's kever, there's no money, there's no friends, his mitzvahs show up, and like, I'll go with you, till the Kisar Kavod, till the, till, till the, till the Din B'Cheshman, till Beth and Shalmaila, I'll be there. And the thing that we spend the least amount of time, 
stands in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu in the, in the, in the biggest judgment of our lives, right? Stands in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu and stands there and talks for us. Listen, before you judge her, she did this, and she did this mitzvah, and she did this chesed, and she did this chesed, right? And that's the one that we spend the least time. So, so the, the, the Dogma Maggit says that a person has to understand who is your real friend. In the end of time, who is your real friend? Who's going to stand with you by, by Bezan Shalmaila? The only one that's going to stand you by Bezan Shalmaila, and even in the Rashi's Chachman and the Sifrei Kabbalah, it says that when a person stands in front of Din Becheshbin, the family is there. A little bit scary. The family is there. The parents and the grandparents and the great grandparents are in the background by your Din Becheshbin, but they can't do anything for you. They just have to sit there. They cannot help you. They cannot jump in front and say, every person has to be, di- be done for what they did. So even though they're there, they can't help you. The only thing that can help you is your mitzvahs. Is the things that you did in life that were good. Though They will go with you to the din v'cheshman. Those malachim that you create from the mitzvahs that you do, they will be the ones that will stand in Shemayim. The whole Pasha, beginning of Pasha Mishpatim, is talking about the trip of the neshama. And it says... But if the neshama of yours says that I'm into the materialistic stuff, the bunim here, right? You don't go out with the bunim. It's talking about the materialistic stuff. That I like my, I like my master. I enjoyed this life. I enjoyed everything that I had, and that's that's who I became. Lai You need to know you're leaving this world not free. You're leaving this world as an evad. I, I saw a very um, beautiful story today. I don't know who it was from that. Um, with one of the rabbis, I don't remember who it was. Maybe I have it here in a second. I do remember who it was. It was, no, it was actually Rabbi Shroth Salanta. That Rabbi Shroth Salanta once was walking by a restaurant and there was a sign in the, in the window well, how much the coffee was. And the coffee was an exuberant amount of money. And he didn't understand for some water and coffee, how could they be charging this kind of money? So he walks into the store and he asks the owner of the store, this is a crazy amount of money that you're charging for some coffee beans and, and some sugar and some water. Why are you charging so much money? I could make the same thing. I could make for much less money. So he answered him, you have to understand, Rabbi, that part of what I'm charging you for is this is a very beautiful restaurant. We have music and we have carpet and we have, it's very, very beautiful. So you're not paying just for the coffee. You're paying for all the expense to make the restaurant beautiful. Chandeliers and music and, and the, look at the couches that people are sitting on and, and the tables where they're being served the coffee and the china that the coffee's in. You're right. The coffee itself, the water and the beans, it's not, it's nothing. But, but everything that we spent around it, that's all in the price of the coffee. So Rabbi Shrel Salanta walked out. It's a beautiful story. And he said, what a lesson I have learned at Kaddish Baruch he said, until now, when I would make a bracha, let's say on, on water, so I would say, everything was created by his word. So what am I thanking Hashem for? The water. Right? Any bracha that you make. He says, but I, I learned from this restaurant that at the same time I'm drinking this water, there's a sun, and there's trees, and there's a wind, and there's air, and there's sound, and there's birds, so that this coffee is much more expensive than just a glass of water. So he said, from that day on, Rabbi Salanta said, all his brachas were very, very different. That the bracha wasn't just on the item, but 
Look what Akash Baruch Hu created. Flowers and this, you know, this, this beautiful world that we have, this museum. I talk about it all the time. This beautiful museum that we have. You know, it's, 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 it's fascinating. So it's not bracha just on the item. It's a bracha on everything. You know, that we're able to see colors and we're, and we're able to hear music. It's a bracha on everything. He says, it's whole brachas. And today I made, tonight I made a bracha shahak and I was thinking about it because I just learned this. I was saying it's so true. It's not just the steak or, or the lettuce that you're eating. It's, it's everything. You're, you're sitting in a house and, you, and your kids are here. Wow, that's part of the, the course, so to say. And you're able to see the, everything and how the, and how the, where the food is sitting on. So it's, it's, it's much more, the, the shahako is much more expensive than just the item that you're eating. I, I thought that was like a, a very, very, very fascinating, very, very fascinating way of thinking. Altogether, like Bochel's world, I don't know if I told the story. You'll tell me right away if I told the story about the Louvre in France. I never told the story. Okay. So this is a story that I once told an atheist. Um, actually in Barapak, a Barapak atheist, whatever that means, right? Um, so this guy was telling me how he doesn't believe and, and you have to prove and you have to prove and you have to prove. So I told him the following story. There was a, um, in, in France, so there's a very famous museum called the Louvre. And in the Louvre are the most famous paintings in the world. So they have, if you go to, if you go to Paris, you have to go to this museum. Because otherwise you're not cultured, right? You're in Paris, you have to be cultured. You can't go shopping, you have to be cultured. So you have to go see the museum, okay? So there's these two, so they have this whole tour that goes through the museum. And there's these two Borough Park ladies that went to, went to Paris to do some shopping. Not to make fun of Borough Park, just that's how the story was written, so, right? And, and these two Jewish ladies, not Borough Park ladies, I'll get into trouble. Two Jewish ladies, and they decided they want to go on this tour too. Okay. So they come into the Louvre. It's it's culture at its top, and you know the guy that takes them around is a Frenchman who knows art. You know what I mean? It's, it's a whole thing. It's like Antamaisa, right? So he walks in, and he's got these ten people. Two of them are these Jewish ladies, and they walk into this into this room, and the the Frenchman says. Uh, points to a painting, it happens to be a very small painting, even though people think it's a very big painting. He says, this painting, I'll do my little bit in French, is uh, the Mona Lisa. This is the most famous painting in the whole world. Now, it's a little teeny painting. It's a very small frame. Everyone thinks Mona Lisa is a big frame. It's a very small frame, with just light on it, right? And, of course, all the people that are, you have to feel cultured, right? They're all like, ooh, wow, the Mona Lisa. That's what I mean. You know, to get to see the Mona Lisa, like, and they were like, "Wow, it, I heard so much about it. It's much, it's it's much, it's even greater than I thought it was." And like everyone, and then you have not, you know, you have Italians there, and everyone's talking, "Ooh, wow, wow." These two Jewish ladies, right? They're in there. One of them turns to the other one. So it's not Barapak because nobody Barapak has this name. And she says, "Helen, why would someone paint such an ugly woman?" She's ugly! The Frenchman, oh my God, you could just call the Mona Lisa ugly? I mean, in front of everyone? It's like unheard of, right? So in French, he says, <gasps> okay, anyway, so you'll get it later. So, but he's French and he's controlled and he's red and he's like, you know, they just insulted the Mona Lisa. He doesn't say nothing. I'm telling you to this guy, this Borough Park guy, I'm telling because he was telling me about Hashem. This is the story that I'm telling him. And I'm playing this out on 13th Avenue. I'm doing all my French stuff, whatever it is. Anyway, and then, you know, people walk by and they put dimes in my shoe. Okay, but anyway. So, 
So they go to the next room. And this guy's watching these two. And they go to the next room and he says, This painting is Mournet Flowers. For all those who don't speak French, Monet Flowers, right? <laughs> it's a very famous painting, a painter called Monet. One of his most famous paintings is called Flowers. It's, it's crazy. It's, both these paintings are worth, they're infinite. They have no value. Their, their value is so much. It's like, forget about it. Anyway, it's Mournet Flowers. And everyone's looking at it like, Wow, look at the brush stroke and the colors. That must be if you ever saw the painting. Uh, I don't know. Whatever, but right? Okay. Anyway, so everyone's leaning in. It's a bigger painting. Everyone's leaning in. Ooh, and I'm... Helen! My granddaughter in fifth grade. She made flowers for my birthday. Much prettier. So now this Frenchman, he's done. That's it. He can't control himself. So he walks over to these two Jewish ladies... He says something negative. This is what I told this guy. He says, Ladies, Monet's flowers and the Mona Lisa are not on trial. These two paintings have been studied for a very, very long time. They're not on trial. They're worth millions, hundreds of millions of dollars. They're, they are taught in every art school in the world. They're not on trial. But you two ladies, you are on trial. And it seems to be that the two of you do not understand anything about art. So there's no reason for you to be here. And he calls security. It's a true story. It's written, I read this in a book. He calls security. He says, please usher these two ladies out. They do not belong in a museum of art. They have no understanding whatsoever. And he, and he, and he steps out with them. And I told to this guy, I'm like, you don't chat, mister. Hashem is not on trial. We are. Every day the sun comes up, every day the sun goes down. The, the artwork that he has created in this world is not on trial. It's we come to this world, it's our job to stand and to sit and to try to understand the beautiful art, beautiful beauty of this world. And if you don't understand the beauty of this world, then after a while, he doesn't need you to be here. Why is he putting you in a world of such beauty when you have no understanding? And at a certain point, he sends the malach, the usher, security to say, she doesn't appreciate what I do. She doesn't understand what I do. Right? She thinks that everything mundane, like this lady thought her granddaughter made a better, you know, better art and that, and that ugly, that's what art is all about, that the woman has to be beautiful. She has no understanding that sometimes things that are not so pretty are closer to Hashem than things that are pretty. And that sometimes pain is a beautiful painting for a neshama, even though we don't understand it. Not always does the painting have to have a beautiful face. But Helen did not understand that. She did not understand that it's not the face that she was looking at, but it was how it was painted and how it was portrayed and how the emotions were portrayed. So a person who just sees the chitzaniest of the world, that's not why Hashem put you here. The chitzaniest of the world is not why a Jewish person comes to this world. A person comes to this world to see the panemius, to understand that every part of life 
is a brush stroke. And to understand that when a person is born, it's, it's a canvas. And everything that you go on through life is a brush stroke. And some of those painful brush strokes are more beautiful at the end of life, understanding what they did for you and how they helped you grow and, 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 and what it's all about. At the end, when you see the whole painting, that's when you understand the beauty of it. But a person who doesn't, who's not willing to understand, not willing to learn, and I'm an atheist and I don't believe anything, so I said to him, say, you're Helen. You don't belong here. There's no reason for you to be here. God is not on trial, ladies. We are. This world is here for over 5,700 years. He's not on trial. Trees grow. There's snow. There's rain. There's fish. There's animals. There's life. There's a lot of things we don't understand. But we have to also come to a point where we understand that we don't understand. If I walked in and I saw the Mona Lisa, I never saw it, right? And I don't like what she looks like. I know that it's a piece of art. It's a very famous piece of art. So I understand that I don't understand. Because I didn't go to art school. So to me, you know, a painting of the Kosel, which is $200 in an Israeli store, to me is more beautiful than the Mona Lisa. But I do understand that I don't understand art. So if I really want to understand what the Mona Lisa is, instead of saying, Helen, she's ugly, I would say I need to go learn what it's all about. And then after I learned what it's all about, I would understand, oh my gosh, that's not about what she looks like. It has a lot to do with what he portrayed. It's the same thing in the world. If you, and I said it to this guy. I said, if you don't want to understand, then you sound like Helen. Right? There's no God. Everything just happened. Then what are you, what are you here for? You, you don't understand art. You don't understand what I could created. You don't belong here. If you really want to know, that was my tiny thing. If you really want to know, you need to learn about it. You're not willing to go learn Torah. You're not willing to go learn about Hashem. To learn about Judaism. You just want to say, Helen. My, you know, my granddaughter had a much better painting, so then, so then, get out of here. So then you're not, you're not, you, you, you don't want to understand. But you understand it, because we created an unbelievable world. So there's a lot of things in this world we don't understand. So how do you get to understand it? By studying it. By, 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 by spending time, by learning Muslims for by learning Muslims Yeshua, by learning, by learning about it. If you just, just stam, begapa yove, begapa yezi, you come in, you go out, and then nothing happened in between, then you're talking ever, then you're talking, you're talking, don't understand. And I, this was written in a book, and I was like, uh, I, I, I agree with I agree with the with the French curator. He's one hundred percent right. What are you doing here? You're gonna look at every painting and make fun of it. You get out of here. You know, so person, you're in this world. You're gonna make fun of everything that Hashem does. So, so, so you know, what are you, what are you doing here? <coughs> All right. So I want to end with a new dicker story. Actually, two. Let's see, if we have time. Ooh, it's eight thirty. Right? Nine thirty. Okay. So very very fast. Two stories. I'm talking about pain. Um, I'm talking about what, what people go through. That's part of the painting, right? Sometimes it's the brightest color in the painting. Sometimes it's the background. We, we understand that if I show you a puzzle that has a thousand pieces, right? And I, and I would come here and put it on a, on a table and show you 300 pieces and tell me, tell, tell me what this is a, a puzzle of, you're not going to know. So we, we don't even get to see 300 pieces in the puzzle of life, right? You can't, we can't understand that. Only Hashem at the end of life, when the whole puzzle, all the pieces are there, Whoa! But if you're going to just see ten pieces and twenty pieces, thirty pieces, and the, you're just going to see the middle piece and you don't see the whole thing, you're not going to know what's going on. And we talk, to, you know, again, there's a, sometimes you get to see something. I just saw this. I just saw something that just happened. Or just tonight, something happened. I went to be an Achimavo somewhere in Borough Park. I walk in. I didn't have time. I was double parked. There's nowhere to park here. So my, I have my blinkers on. I'm scared the bus is going to come down. He's going to get blocked. So I run in. I sit down. This guy's sitting shiver, a friend of mine, David Langer. Anyway, I sit down. He's in the middle of a story. And he's telling a story about this guy that this guy was stuck on the, on the 17th in the summer. This guy, 
he didn't tell me who. This guy goes out the next exit and comes, you know, because when you drive, you're doing 60 miles an hour. By the time you realize the guy's stuck, you're ready. Ah, somebody else will stop, right? He went out the next exit, came all the way around, and changed this guy's tire and helped him out, whatever it is. He says, he says, Zachai, you know who it is? I'm like, Shlemy Gross. He's like, yep, Shlemy Gross. The one that, there's a book about him. He's a very close friend of mine. So this is what I heard, right? And I'm like, 100%, and he's talking about his father in the Holocaust for 10 minutes, 8 minutes, I gotta get out there because they're beeping, I'm double parked, I'm like, okay, I gotta go, I'm looking, we're not gonna find. Good, that was the story that happened. I went home, like I was coming from my office in Butterpot, I went home, I ate supper, now I'm coming back to give you this share. I go, I'm on Avenue J, going up Avenue J and Coney Island Avenue, so I see the guy standing on the corner. But I'm already, pa- and he's, he, look, he looks like he's looking for a ride, right? And, I'm already past him. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I don't want to be late. I won't be late. I don't want to be nervous to be scared to be late. Right? So I'm past him. I'm already, he's on, he's on, on Coney Island. I'm already two blocks past him. And in my head, I'm like, you just heard a story about Shlemy Gross. He went out the next exit. He, the guy's standing in the cold. It's nine degrees outside. What are you doing? I'm like, all right. Turn around. Made a U-turn. Went all the way back to Coney Island Avenue. I'm like, do you need a ride? He goes, yes, thank you, to Borough Park. I'm like, fine, gets into the car. The only reason I stopped was because I walked in for that. Just how, because you can watch the puzzle if you, if you're conscious of it, right? You can see, you can see what he does. There's no way I would have stopped him. I, I had to get here on time. There's no way I was going to stop him. Because I heard the story, Shlemy grows, he went out the next exit. I don't even have to go out the next exit. I just have to make a U-turn. So I pick him up, right? And I take him. Where's he going? I'm telling him I'm going to 12th Avenue. He's not going to 12th Avenue. He's going to 18th Avenue, right? Fine, 18th Avenue, 53rd Street. I drop him off. I drop him off. There's a lady, an old, old lady and old man standing on the corner. Are you going to, to, to 14th Avenue by any chance? I'm like, sure. He gets in the front. She gets in the back, right? I'm taking them to 14th Avenue and 53rd Street. He go, I said, it's very cold. They're old. I'm like, where are you going? And they're like, 14th and 50th. There's a hall. Golden, a terrace gold, I don't know, whatever it is. I said, I'll take you to the hall. Really? That's so nice. Why, why, you, you can chop us off on 53rd and 14th. I'm like, no, I just, I'm not gonna get into it. Shlemy grows, the whole story, whatever it is. <laughs> right? Whatever it is. I took him to 50th and I came eight minutes late. Whatever it is. Seven minutes late to the ship. But I'm just saying, because Bochu, just, just, if you, if you, if you connect the dots, right? It's amazing. So I just want to tell you something that happened in Eretz Stroll. I was just in Eretz Stroll last week. And you all know, uh, some of you know, don't know, uh, that I got up and I spoke against Zumba. You think I spoke against Moshe Rabbeinu. But I spoke against Zumba, and the whole world is very, very busy. I got an email today from England, because England's very into Zumba, and, and, and the Rabbanam are scared to go against it. Whatever it is, to make a long story short, I spoke against Zumba. It was all over the internet. Everybody was talking about it. This rabbi got up and spoke against Zumba. They call me Rabbi Z. Right? Because I spoke chutzpah of me to go talk about a Latin... Dance, exercise, where do you have a right to talk about it? How are you talk to the, to, to the, the daughters of the Kalah How dare you say something bad about, you thought it was about Rebbe Tzikainetsky, I don't know what they thought. Or bad about Zumba. You think I was the, like, I'm the biggest Russia in the world. I spoke bad about Zumba. Okay. If that's what they're going to judge me in Shemayim for, I'm going to do really good. When they get up to that part of my judgment, I'm going to be in good shape. Anyway, so, I took a lot of heat. And people canceled. I was supposed to speak in Toronto at a woman's organization in March. Canceled. We don't want you. Why? Because women in the shul do Zumba. And they said after you called them names and this and that, you're finished. They don't want you. So they canceled. Bothered me. 
you know, maybe I should apologize. I don't know, right? Cancel me there. Cancel me in Chicago. Cancel me all over the place, right? And I'm taking this like, this is a test. I am being canceled because I spoke against Zumba. This is where Kleistral is at this, to this day. This is where we're at. A rabbi got up and spoke against Zumba. You're out of here. We don't want you. You're going to come talk to an Ashul about Moshe Rabbeinu and Avram Avinu and you spoke about about Zumba? Who are you? You must be a very bad person. Okay. I took a lot of heat. I'm like, what's going on here? Like, it was a share I gave in during Svira in May. This whole thing broke after Hanukkah. Like, what is, what's going on here? And this guy, I mean, it's Bashar, because it's Russia who did this to me, right? Who's a Russia, right? He had to hear all my share back till May to find this one. You know, he had to keep listening for a shear to find something bad. So maybe he's going to do tshuva after listening to 200 shiurim. Or maybe that's why he was angry that he had to listen to 200 shiurim. I'm not sure. Right? But whatever. He went after me and I was very, uh, you know, I'm a human being. I'm a very tzibrachan. I like people. They like, they should like me, you know. And there's, there's people are like writing me letters and this and that. And you don't understand. Women have to express themselves. I said, I didn't say you shouldn't express themselves. Exercise. Do go, go run, listen to Jewish music, kill yourself. I don't care if you lose 90 pounds, sweat every day, work hard, but don't, dra- don't, don't dance provocatively, right? And, 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 and I, I have an idea to, to, I, Mitzvah Shem, if I have time, I'm going to Eretz I'm going to go to the Gedalim. I'm going to go to Rav Chaim Kainaski. I'm going to say, there's an exercise called Zumba, where they listen to Gaiyushi music, and they're very, they dance very provocatively. Can the Rebs give a bracha to all the women, you know, <laughs> who don't do Zumba? Can the rub give a bracha to all the women don't do Zumba? Or can the rub say on tape they should do it or not? And then I'll go to, to Steinman. I'll go to a couple of Rebbes, right? You know, I'll go to Kleisenberger Rebbe. Do you think that this is something they should do? And, I, and I'll put this on a video. And I'll put this video out. You know, it's not Rabbi Wallerstein. I have a feeling I know what they're going to say. Right? So anyway, it hurt me. Like, I, I, I talk to Hashem all the time. Like, Hashem, I'm standing up for you. What do you, what do you, like, that's not right. How did this guy find me? You could have hit it, right? Okay, we talk. Anyway. I'm an Eretz Yisrael. So my wife wasn't feeling so well. I wasn't feeling so well, whatever it was. And someone told us that there's this doctor. He's sort of a homopathic doctor. And he can mamish, save this woman. She wasn't feeling well. And he, he, he's reflexology. And mamish, 45 minutes, you're going to work out in perfect shape. I'm like, okay. That's worth a try, right? So where is he? I don't know where he was. Far away from where I was. Whatever it is. And we're going to go on Thursday, 12 o'clock to 1 o'clock, a half an hour with my wife, a half an hour with me. We'll see. Maybe it'll work. Right? Fine. I get a phone call. You have to hear the story. It's a maybe take a story. I get a phone call. So I was supposed to go Thursday. So I get a phone call Tuesday night. And Tuesday night, the secretary of the doctor calls up and says, we have two cancellations tomorrow morning. We have an opening from 11 to 1. You can go for an hour. Your wife can go for an hour. Could you make it Wednesday instead of Thursday? I'm like, no problem. I really wasn't feeling well. I was like, this, this is what I need. Fine. So, we don't know this guy, right? Homopathic. Who knows what's going on, right? Maybe they're burning incest in there, you know, incense burning over there in the, in the room. I don't know. Right? I never went to this guy. I'm like, so my wife says, who goes first? I'm like, I'll be the carbon. I'll go first. If he hurts me, I won't let you go. Don't worry about it. Anyway, very nice guy. I fell asleep. I didn't even know what he was doing. I don't know. I was so tired. Whatever it was. Anyway, after my hour's up, I get out, and I have to hear you know, because who works. Now, I'm giving a shear that day, Wednesday, I'm giving a shear, right, in Medrash Shmuel. Now, Medrash Shmuel is a yeshiva, boy's yeshiva, and I spoke last year to them, and, because my father's yard site, and they, they, they loved it, but I wasn't sure what I said. 
right? And as you know, sometimes I can repeat stories. So I, di- I didn't want to go back in there and repeat stories. So did I speak about Yosef? Did I speak about Tu Because it was last year with Tu I'm not sure what I said. So my son-in-law, who's a med- who, went- who goes to Medrash, I said, do me a favor and get me a CD of what I said last year so I can listen so I don't say it again. So he gave it to me that morning and I took it on my way to the doctor. Now I'm finished, right? And feeling the same way as before when I walked in. <laughs> Didn't help at all, but whatever. Anyway, and my wife writes, I said, okay, Esther, you go. And um, after the hour, I'll come in and I'll pay. So what did I do that hour? I sat in the car and I listened to my share. Thank God, because I was going to give the exact same share that I gave the year before. And I listened to the whole share and I crossed out everything and I rewrote my share, whatever I had to do, whatever it is. Now the hour's up. So I know my wife has no money, so I'm going to go pay for both of us. So I get out of the car. I get out of the car to go into this building, and there's a, a young man walking this, the other way, and he says, you're Wallerstein, aren't you? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> he says, I got to ask you a favor. I'm like, what can I do for you? He says, my chavusa that I learned with, he's a very hush of a guy. He runs a maizid in Yerushalayim for girls like your high school that have got, uh, hit the street, that were abused, that went through a very tough life, and they have about 25 girls, and he, he has a lot of questions. It's not, he, he just started it two years ago, he took over it. He has a lot of questions, and he's been try, he tried to reach you, but you're in America. If you would talk to him, he, he, you don't know what you could do for him. I'm like, okay, here's my number, my Israeli number, I show my phone. Tell him to call me in, a, in an hour. I'll talk to him on the phone, no problem. He says, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I go in, I don't think about it. An hour later, this guy calls me. Hello, I run this place. said, girls, whatever it is. He goes, the Wallstein, you don't know what it would mean if you'd come talk to my girls. I'm like, I spoke, I'm speaking in Medrash. I spoke in the great synagogue for women. I told my wife, we're there for five days. I'm not talking anywhere. He says, no, but you don't understand. These girls, they're from the street. And this is, a, it would be so big for, if you would just come. You know what? You don't want to talk to them. Just come see what I do because I need your help. I said, when do you want me to come? He goes, tomorrow morning, 11 o'clock. I'm like, okay, that was, that's when I was supposed to go to the doctor, right? I said, okay, happens to be 11 to 12. I, I, I pushed, I, I, I locked off to go to the doctor. And I went today. I don't have to go. Fine. I'll be there at 11 o'clock. I'll, he says, I'll pick you up at your apartment, whatever. To make a long story short, he picks me up the next day at my apartment. He takes me to the school. And mom think I'm standing in my high school. These are the same girls except they're Israelis. Okay, he says, just would you, would you talk to them for 10 minutes? I know he was trapping me, right? He says, would you talk to them for 10 minutes? I'm like, fine. But I don't speak of it well. My dick took is my who, my he, it's all going to be all mixed up. My anachnu is my we, my who, my ah, forget about it, right? I, I, you know, so the whole, you know, he ruled together is very hard. Who is he? He is she. You know, dog is fish. You know, the whole, you know, the whole thing, right? So it's like, it's, it's all mixed up and I did not... I went to Yeshiva, we don't do diktuk. Like, no, diktuk, we don't do, which is a big mistake because Rashi, if you learn Rashi, you'll see that a lot, a lot of Rashis are diktuk. Right? But we, you know, guys, we don't learn diktuk. Anyway, so, and we think that in Israel we can talk Hebrew and get the right prices because they won't know. And they're like, and Medakai, and Medakai, you know what I mean? And we're like, I need me the Bevrit, I need me Paul, you know? And they look at you like, come on. You know what I mean? It's like the Jewish guy with the, with the Yankee cap, like, I'm not Jewish, I'm wearing a Yankee cap. Anyway. So I walk into the room, and these beautiful 25 girls who, who are hurting and going through mamish, the hardest times of their life, Israelis, and I'm like, I need lo yichod da be'evrit, 
Um, is there anyone in here that can translate? This one girl gets up. She's an American. She says, I'll translate. And she stands next to me. And for the next hour, I give a share on the butterfly, which is my whole butterfly ornava and the pain and that a butterfly is not a caterpillar with wings and how and the change and the whole and I told them the whole story and this girl is such a great translator it's amazing and then I tell them the story at the elevator that you know don't give up don't run down the steps the next step is the elevator and I'm giving them all this I ended up talking for an hour and this guy's standing and this, this, this girl translates the whole thing okay fine I walk out the guy's like oh thank you so much and we're talking about schools and this and that and he wants to send me girls and I should send him girls Gansamises fine I walk out this one girl comes running and she says in Hebrew she says Wallerstein she says I want you to know you saved my life with the butterfly story I said ah I, said, I know it's a great story whatever it is she goes no no you don't understand I was thinking of killing myself I have such a bad life, she says. But I'm a I'm a golem, which is a, a, a caterpillar. I'm a golem. But you know what? After what you said, I'm going to become a parpa. She says to me, I walk out. Still not connecting the dots. I'm not not connecting the dots yet. Fine. Now, the chavrusa who I met that that day was the guy who picked me up to drive me to bring me. So now he he was with us the whole time, and now he's taking me home. And I'm sitting in the car, and he says, you know, I never heard one of your shirim until two weeks ago. He says, do you know what I heard? He said, the guys were talking about this whole Zumba thing. And I asked my wife, what's Zumba, right? And she said, that, that, whatever it is. And she said, oh, she, she, she saw the shirim Zumba, right? Because it was all over the Facebook, whatever it is. She said, if you want to know what he said, watch it. He said, so the only share I ever watched that you ever gave was online from the guy that sent the, the stuff around at minute 39, whatever it is. He said, but I have to tell you something. I have no idea what you look like. And the only reason I knew what you looked like on the street when you stepped out of the car was because I saw that Zumba video. And on the Zumba video, I saw your face. He said, had I never seen that Zumba video, I would have never stopped you in the street. I didn't know what Robert Wallstein looked like. I never ever listened to any of your shirim. I didn't even know who you were. And I went home, I went to the Kaisal the next morning, I go every morning with Tikkun, and I stood in front of Hashem and I was smiling. I'm like, just please forgive me for even doubting you. The whole Zumba story. All that happened and so much happened. And in a very far away land, a month later, a girl that was going to commit suicide was saved by a story of a butterfly because my face was on that video and this guy heard all the Lush and Hurry he wanted to see the video. Had that whole Zumba story not happened, he would have never known who I was. I would have walked back into the doctor's office. He would have walked right by me. That's the world that we live in. God is not on trial. We are. We're on trial to see him in every step, in every part of life. He is not on trial. And the more we study his Torah and his mitzvot and him, more of a reason for us to be in this world. More of a reason for him to show us his beautiful artwork. To show us life. Because the most beautiful artwork that exists is life. So, my bracha to all of you is that we do all come in alone, we all do go out alone, we all go out alone. But in Bal Ishahu, but if we have Torah and we have mitzvot, then that goes with us.
we will be zayichet to, to see Tchias Abesim, to, to, to see Mashiach, and Mida Keneged Mida, you all came out in the ice cold and the cold, Hashem Shittak remove all the cold in your life, and only bring you warmth, and, and Simcha, and Yiddish Anachas from everybody. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.